I thought about years from now when people would ask for tapes, they'd think it was about the book of Revelation, you know. And so it's about revelation, spiritual insight, spiritual understanding, enlightenment, being able to hear clearly spiritually, being able to see. In other words, there was a man in John 9 that was healed physically. He was blind and he was able to see now. But there are all these clues in there about things that block us being able to see spiritually. So that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about seven blockages to understanding. All right? And on each one, we're going to go through part of John 9. We're actually going to read through the whole thing in the message because it's too funny to leave out any part of it. It is, you just have to kind of put yourself in this guy's place that he was sitting there blind, minding his own business, got healed, did not even ask to be healed. This is a man that did not ask to be healed, got healed, and then got in all sorts of trouble because he got healed and didn't even ask to get healed. He just got healed and got called before the Pharisees and they called his parents in. And I mean, it just goes, it's just hilarious. You're going to love it, all right? So we're going to talk about seven blockages, though, to understanding, being able to see in the Spirit, being able to hear what God is saying. Have you ever wondered, what's God doing? What's He doing right now? I wish I knew. I wish I could understand. I wish when I read the Bible, the words jumped off the pages at me. I wish I had the spiritual understanding that I see that some other people have. Well, I'm going to tell you seven blockages to understanding, all right? The first one is blame. Number one is blame, all right? And I'll explain that to you in a minute. Let's look at John chapter 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. All right, now let's talk about this first part. Here's what bothers me, all right? The disciples are walking along with Jesus. They're walking along with the Son of God, the Messiah. They've confessed He's the Son of God. They understand who He is. They've seen Him do miracles. They're walking along with someone who can heal the sick, who has opened blind eyes. He's already done this in His ministry. Who can heal lame people. They're walking along with someone who can walk on water, who can multiply loaves and fishes and feed multitudes. They're walking along with someone who can raise the dead. And He's already raised the dead at this point in His ministry. They're walking along with God, and they see a blind man, and instead of saying, Lord, this man's never seen his family, this man's never seen your creation, this man's never seen anything, would you please heal him? Instead, they want to ask a theological question. They want to find out, why is he blind? Who's to blame? And here's what's amazing to me. They said, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, I want you to think about this. The man was born blind. How could he have sinned? And yet, they're ready to look at someone with a disability and blame it on him. Do you realize that the church that is the most to blame in this area, who does this the most, is the charismatic church? They are so guilty of telling people who are sick or have some difficulty in life that it's their fault. This is the oldest game in the book. 
Blame. Blame came into the world as soon as sin came into the world. When sin came in, blame came in. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up and said, Adam, and Adam said, it's her fault. Eve, it's the serpent's fault. You follow me? Immediately when sin comes in, blame comes in. Don't get caught up in blaming people. Don't get caught up in the blame game. Always looking for someone to blame. It, it just blows me away that these guys, I mean, they're walking on with Jesus, and instead of asking Him to heal the person, they want to find out if they're theologically correct. Now, listen, I believe in being theologically correct. I believe in being doctrinally sound. I believe that. But when you're more concerned about being right than you are about someone being healed, you've gone too far. The main thing was the guy was blind, he'd never seen anything, and Jesus could heal him. That's the main thing. And here's Jesus' answer, neither. Neither this man sinned nor his parents sinned, but both of them we know sinned. They weren't perfect people. We know that. But what he was saying is, that's not the reason the man was born blind. The reason he's born blind is because we live in a fallen world, and I've got news for you, everyone here was born with disabilities. Everyone in this room was born with abilities, and disabilities. Everyone in this room, you might have some physical disabilities or some emotional disabilities or some mental disabilities, but everyone in this room is not the same. And because we live in a fallen world, don't look at someone who has a disability that you can see with your eyes and think they did something wrong to cause that. Are y'all following me? Sin is what caused it. Overall sin, being born into a fallen world. Here's what Jesus said. Get your eyes off of whose fault this is and get your eyes on the possibility of what I can do in this situation. Stop being a pessimist in this situation and begin to be an optimist. Look differently. Change your mindset. Some people, now think about this, and you may want to write this down. This is amazing to think about this thought. Some people blame themselves for everyone's mistakes. And some people blame everyone for their mistakes. Did you catch that? I want to say this again. This is what blame does. Some people, and now don't punch the person you're sitting beside while we're talking about it, all right? Some people blame themselves for everyone's mistakes. Hey, I've, I've told you I've been, I'm, I'm very open. I don't know. People come up to me all the time and say, well, we just appreciate how transparent you are. I don't know how to be any other way. But I told you last week about Debbie and me. This is Debbie and me again. Debbie is the type of person, when she was growing up, she blamed herself for everyone else's mistakes. Anything went wrong in the family is her fault. That's the way she felt. But I was the other person. Some people blame everyone else for their mistakes. You know, when I grew up playing sports, if we lost, it was everyone else's fault. <laughs> It wasn't my fault. I played a great game. You understand? Listen, they're both wrong. We're both looking to place blame, and we need to be looking at God rather than whose fault it is. You understand what I'm saying? So that's the first blockage to really being able to see and hear in the Spirit if you walk around with an attitude of blame. Here's the second one, disobedience. Verses 6 and 7, John 9. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now what I'm saying is disobedience blocks us from being able to go on with God. All right, think about this. This man simply obeyed. 
Jesus put mud on his face, and he told him to go wash, and he did. What if he hadn't have gone? What if he hadn't have obeyed? And what if he'd have said, I didn't need to wash until you put mud on my face? This is the craziest thing I've ever heard, just to go wash my face. It's not going to do anything. This doesn't make any sense. It's not going to help my eyes. This has no logical explanation to it. What if he'd have just taken his shirt that day and wiped his face off? He'd never seen. Here's what I'm telling you. If you want to go on with God, you have to obey. By the way, if you feel like you're out of God's will, or you're missing God, or you're out of step with God, go back to the last thing that He told you to do that you didn't do, and do it. Go back to where you missed Him, where you disobeyed, and get it right, make restitution, and get back on track. If you come to a fork in the road and you've taken the wrong fork and you keep going farther and farther and farther away from God's purposes, don't try to take the trail over to the other side and cut through the woods. Just go back and take the right fork. Make the right decision. Get it right with God. I don't even know where I am because that's not in, that wasn't even in my notes, but, but it's a good one for the next services. Excuse me, just. You know, when God speaks things to us, it doesn't always make sense. Think about it. Especially in the area of giving. I just want to use this as an example. Has God ever spoken to you to give a large amount? Now, probably most of you in this room have done this. Most of you have, I think. It makes no sense. It makes no sense in the natural. And here's the problem. If you wait too long, you won't do it. (laughs) Because you'll figure out a hundred reasons not to do it. Maybe a thousand. So there's all these things, but when you do it, it's amazing what happens. We had a couple, I'll never forget, in the first year when we were trying to buy this land, God spoke to them to give an extravagant amount. And they gave the amount, and then we went a few months before we actually purchased the land because we were in negotiations and all that. But right before we purchased the land, I said to them, are you sure? I know you've already given the amount, but we're going to buy the land now. And so I said, I just want to ask you something. Do you want your money back? You know what they said to me? Are you crazy? They said the most revelation that we've ever received in our lives has been since we gave that gift. Our children are doing better than they've ever done. Our marriage is better than it's ever been. Every time we read the Bible, first of all, we can't put it down. And every time we read it, we see new things. This man said to me, I have volumes, volumes of things God has spoken to me since I gave that gift. Obedience. Not the money. Not the money. Obedience. When he obeyed, God began to pour his revelation out. By the way, this is a good place here to talk about the humanity of Jesus. I just want you to notice how Jesus made the clay. The Bible says that he spat on the ground. Now, this is not an image of Jesus that most of us have in our minds. Would you agree with that? Most of us, when we think about Jesus, do not think about Jesus going, (laughs) (laughs) and then he rubs his fingers in it. And then he smears it on a guy's face. His spit. We just don't think about that. I just wanted to bring that up for you to think about. 
Now, I want you to notice, here's where it starts really getting funny. All the talking that begins to happen over this guy getting healed. All the talk, 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 talk. John chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat in bed? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I'm him. <laughs> it's me. Can't you just see him gather around in a circle? You think that's him? I don't think it's him. Maybe his twin brother. Looks just like him. That's a shirt he had on this morning, I tell you that. I've seen the guy. And he's on the outside of the circle going, Fellas, fellas, it's me. I'm him. All right, let's keep going. Look, verse 10. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay. Now, notice he didn't go into the details of how he made the clay here. And anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. So he didn't have any idea what's going on. Now, I want you to notice, though, here's the next blockage to understanding religion. Look at verse 13. And look at the trouble the guy gets into. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. <laughs> the guy didn't do anything. Now he's in trouble. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You're not supposed to make anything on the Sabbath which includes spitting. You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees couldn't receive the miracle because it was against their religion. It was against their religious upbringing. Listen to me. Religion tries to put God in a box. Religion says God works this way in these types of churches. He doesn't work in those types of churches. And He doesn't work in those types of churches. And what's amazing is, is that we always think that the church we go to is the type of church God's working in. God doesn't work in the ones that are more traditional than us, and He doesn't work in the ones that are crazier than us. We have the perfect balance, and this is where God is, and this is the way God's working. That's religion. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did that day. They said, God doesn't work that way. God only works the way that we said that God works. And because of their religion, they couldn't accept it. It was against their religion to make clay on the Sabbath even if you did it by just spitting and rubbing in the dirt. Debbie and I grew up in a traditional church. We grew up in a church, probably like many of you grew up in a church. We grew up in a church and we sang hymns every week, nothing wrong with hymns. We sang hymns here, great hymns. But we didn't really think about them. We didn't, you know, first of all, I don't understand this, but we always only sang the first, second, and last verse. What was wrong with the third verse? That's what I want to know. The third verse never got in. It was just the, it was when the guy was tired or something. We never sang the third verse. We never stood when we sang. We always sat. We sang standing on the promises, sitting on the premises. That's the way, that's the way we sang it. We didn't, we didn't raise our hands. We obviously didn't shout. We didn't laugh. We didn't talk. We didn't do anything. We barely breathed, you know. That's the way I grew up in church. The first time we walked into a church like this, we stood with our mouths open. I mean, we walked in like, you know, we were just shocked. And the whole service, we, we were like, look at the guy on your right. Look on your right, on your right, look. <laughs> look, 
Look at him now. Look, 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 look. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And we were just like this. Just the whole service, that's the way we were. Okay, now, all of my children, though, have grown up in a church like this. We began going to a church like this when Josh, my oldest son, was one years old. All right? So all of his memories of church are like this. People lift their hands. Some people kneel. Some people dance. Some people shout. That's what church is. When he was six years old, he went to visit his grandparents <laughs> and stayed over for the weekend. So Sunday, they went to church. They walked into church. Austin's, you know, walking beside him. And this is what Debbie's parents told us. They got down the aisle and they started to get in the pew and Josh was back at the door like this. He was the one standing with his mouth open now. So they had to go back and get him. Josh, come We're in church. He was thinking, this isn't church. This, this is a funeral home. He was looking for the caskets, you know, down front. I talked to him on the phone. He said, Dad, we went to church, but it wasn't church. <laughs> nobody talked. Nobody moved. He said, nobody there was happy. <laughs> and it was so short. <laughs> we just barely got there and it was over. Why? And listen, here's, think about this. Think about this. To my son, they are the weird ones. Not the people that express their worship, the people that don't. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. What's normal to you might not be God. As a matter of fact, I have a feeling some of you, when you get to heaven, are going to do this. <laughs> look at the guy on the right. Look at the guy on the right. <laughs> He's here, too. <laughs> and you may be talking about King David. <laughs> are you all following me? Don't let religion stop you from going on with God. Look at verse 15. Watch this. Watch. Remember, the story's funny. All right? Watch it. Go back to the story in your mind. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. I mean, how many times has he got to go over the story? Notice the story's getting shorter, too, by the way. Verse 16, watch all the talking again. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a denomination among them. I know, I know that you think, oh, you shouldn't have said that. And I'm not making fun of denominations. I'm really not. But I would like you to know the root of denominations the word is denamo. You know what denamo means? Let me just ask those of you who remember math, if you remember anything at all about math, what did you do when you had a common denominator? The word denamo means to divide. And that's what the body of Christ has been doing for 2,000 years. What? Y'all just sprinkle? We're going to divide from you. What? Y'all put them all the way under? We're going to divide from you. What? Y'all believe this? We're going to divide from you. We're going to divide from you. And now we have 7,000 divisions or whatever it is. All right, let's keep going. They said to the blind man again, 
What do you say about him because you open your eyes? He said, I think he's a prophet. <laughs> I like the guy personally. <laughs> Here's the fourth hindrance to understanding. Unbelief. Unbelief. Look at verse 18. But the Jews did not believe him. Now, get back to the story, all right? We're going to talk about unbelief in a minute. But get back to the story. Watch how funny this is. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And this guy gets a note sent home. I mean, he's in so much trouble. And remember, he didn't ask to be healed. That's the thing that blows me away. He just got sent to the principal's office. Parents got called. Okay, here's the thing, though. They didn't believe. This was an obvious miracle. This was obvious. The guy got healed. It's obvious. Everybody in the town knew it was the same guy. There was no need to argue. They knew this guy since he was this high. Everyone knew he was born blind. They led him around. Everyone saw him. You just notice a thing like that. Unbelief always, always demands more evidence. And unbelief is never satisfied. You can never give enough evidence to satisfy unbelief. No matter how much evidence you give, people still doubt. And I want you to think about this. Unbelief works its way into our thoughts constantly. Think about this. If you've ever heard about a miracle, what were your thoughts afterwards? I mean, think about it. Someone says, did you hear so-and-so got healed? What are your thoughts? Well, well, tell me the circumstances. Well, she was healed of cancer. Well, did they do chemo? No, they didn't. Really? And so you're thinking, well, it must be another explanation. Did she, was she on some medicine? Well, yeah, she took some medicine. Oh, okay, okay. Now I can understand. Are you following me? That's the way we do. I have a DVD of a man that was raised from the dead under Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. DVD. And I was telling this guy one time, and I said to him, I said, I've got this DVD of a guy being raised from the dead. And he said to me, was he embalmed? <laughs> now, here's the great answer. Yes, he was. Yes. And the guy said, are you serious? What is so hard to believe about this? Acts 26, verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Look at this. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? You know the thing that really bothers me? is that we are believers. We're not called doubters. We're called believers. We're supposed to believe. We hear of a miracle, we ought to say, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. We should not be looking for the logical, earthly explanation. Why in the world would we think it's incredible that God does things? On this video, by the way, they interviewed the mortician. He showed how he put the things in and embalmed the man and did all the things. And they show actual footage of the man while they're praying over him. His body is stiff as a board. Everything is stiff. They can't even move his body because of the embalming fluid. And while they're praying over him, his chest starts going up and down. And it's one of the most amazing things you've ever seen. Now, here's what I'm telling you. That's not incredible for God. That's not too hard for God. Don't let unbelief come in. All right, let's keep going. Watch this. It's going to get funnier, okay? And they asked him, verse 19, they asked the parents saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? What's amazing is they're saying, Why isn't he still blind? They're upset about this. 
His parents answered them and said, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Now watch this. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. They didn't want to ask him. They didn't like his answer. Here's the fifth thing, though. You think that this is a good thing that his parents did by saying he's of age, ask him. But the fifth reason, the blockage, is fear. And look at the next verse, verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Because the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed he was Christ, he would be kicked out of church, put out of the synagogue, kicked out. You ever know anyone got kicked out for believing God still does things today? Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Don't let fear grip you. Listen to me very carefully. I want to explain something to you. There were many of you who were born with a spirit of fear. I'm talking to you right now. You know fear has been a part of your life, your whole life, since the earliest childhood memory. Fear has been a part of your life. Listen very carefully to me. You can get rid of that spirit. You don't have to live the rest of your life in fear. And fear never accomplished anything for God. Everything that's been accomplished for God has been because of faith. And every time something comes up, you have a choice. Fear or faith. Which way are you going to go? Fear says, don't step out. Faith says, step out. Fear says, you might miss it. Faith says, you might hit it. Go for it. Do something for God. Fear is a crippling disease. Don't let fear hold you back. All right, let's keep going here. Verse 24. Now watch. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> now, I didn't say that. That's kind of what the man was saying there, so. I like this guy. They said, we know this guy. You know, he said, said, listen, here's the thing that I know. I was blind when I got up this morning. And I can see now. This is one of the greatest testimonies in the Bible. Verse 26. Now watch this. Just let this sink in on you how funny this is. They said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, but you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I really like this guy. This is one of the first guys I want to meet when I get to heaven. I want to meet this guy and say, thank you very much. Way to tell him off, buddy. Here's the sixth blockage, a hard heart. A hard heart. Verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. Now watch his answer, verse 30. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Is that good? Has anyone ever said to you, I don't know where this healing stuff's from? Well, here's the answer to that. Well, this is a marvelous thing 
that you don't know where healing is from. That's a marvelous thing. All right, keep going. Verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is 